0: Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John, and welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies both new and old with a strictly positive critical eye.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. That's right, people. And this here is, in fact, a drinking game. So anytime we say anything negative about the film we're going to discuss, you're going to hear this sound. There that it means is. means that we're Ooh. drinking. I don't know how much we'll say it for this film, but maybe I'll just throw it in there to have some fun. <laughs> you take so it this thirsty. is... <laughs> we, we have a podcast. Please like and subscribe. We have a couple different segments, but this is the premiere of our segment, which we really have been trying to do different variations of for a long time, but we're making it official and cleaning it up. This is Should Have Seen It By Now. I should have really seen, right? it, seen by it by now. I can't believe I've never right. seen this
0: movie by now. Yeah. Yeah. There are. This, this, was in, a, a, this is inspired
2: by our, our regular guest, uh, Ryan, who did this last year during the pandemic and as in one year has clocked up over 300 films that he should have seen by now.
1: Yeah, not a lot of sex for Ryan, but, like, (laughs) definitely a ton of films. And we... So we, we are taking I love his tone on this, because if you want to know more about Citizen Kane, you can Google it. You can find other podcasts. But we are definitely taking the approach of, man, we should have seen this movie by now and talking about it like that. We're not going to give you a, a review that's 80 years late, just like that Chicago Tribune review that uh, apparently wasn't positive. And therefore, Citizen Kane is no longer the number one rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes because of this one yes. review that was written forever. It lost
2: ago. to a CG bear.
1: Lost to CG bear, Paddington 2, who Ryan said, this is not only his, his favorite CGI bear, but was his favorite movie he watched out of the 300 goddamn movies he yes. watched. He said, Paddington 2 really stands out. And it's like, really? And then two weeks later, all of a sudden, it's the number one movie of all yeah. time. So go, Ryan.
2: And it, yeah, it was, and we tried to get hold of it. And you can't stream it in the US. You have, to, you have to rent it. It's not on streaming anywhere. It's like, it's the number one fucking movie. How is that not available for streaming in the US? Somebody's fucked up.
1: To quote Martin Scarelli, why would I sell, you know, and I'm not going to quote Martin Scarelli, but just saying, like, <laughs> the Paddington, the Brits knew what they had when they had Paddington too, and they said, we're not going to give it to you easily. You got to yeah. beg for it. All right, so we're going to be talking about, this. also two reasons, two great reasons, why now is a good time to talk about Citizen King. First was Mank from 2020, which if you didn't see, you should. It's on Netflix. It was awesome. It was uh, David... <laughs> this is what happens when you drink during a podcast david fincher director of seven and fight club and a million other things uh social network his dad wrote one screenplay before he passed away a while ago and it was mank based on the screenwriter of citizen kane that's what mank was most nominations at the oscars this past year that nobody watched and not only that the paddington two stories so two good reasons to talk about citizen kane now as a great should have seen it by now. Dave, this is the number one AFI movie of all time. Just ahead mm-hmm. of the Godfather and The Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind and Castle Blank. Well, i have, probably put Dave, him in. But yeah. Dave, why have we never seen this movie before? You I and I, John have yeah, seen it, but
0: let's kick let's kick this off as we're gonna do every time we do this segment. We're gonna shame the fuck out of who actually hasn't <laughs> seen it. If we have a guest, they're gonna get shamed if it's one of us. So two of my co-hosts, Jeff and Dave, have never seen this movie. So I am just curious. You guys are full-grown adults. Why have you not seen this movie by now? What what happened with your life that prevented you from seeing the number one ranked AFI film for basically our entire lives? <laughs> all
2: right. What does the A stand for?
0: Go fuck the yourself, dude. That's, yeah, that's what it stands for. We like, we we have a different <laughs> uh, list. Like, it it's
2: Citizen Kane isn't. It's not like the be-all in all of. I, didn't get that. Uh, uh, the I a- think it was number. It I was also number saying. one okay.
0: in sight and sound. They're really. Uh, you know, Fantastic List yeah. well. no, is the really popular magazine in, 70s and in 80s Australia 80s. when
2: I was growing up it never came up. There was there were all these other things to watch that had like that were made in Australia or that were the like that that sort of thing. So it it just never came up. That was the reason I yeah. and then uh at one point I worked in a theme park and they had a big LED screen right near my control booth and it the scene, the party scene where he gets the the all the other editors played at least four or five times a day it's a good and scene. so it is that is etched in. like i i had to go and do something else when that scene came on today like the it was one with the marching band morning. and like the yeah, the M- yeah. To George yeah. i had like ptsd so, from yeah and <laughs> yeah and so like that i mean that's pretty much why i haven't seen it plus like i until we started doing this podcast i never really went looking for old movies they they don't like yeah. them i like they're not my style i feel like the style's changed i'll have Gee, more to David. say about that
1: in a minute the american press meets american politicians and that wasn't australia's favorite movie of all time how (laughs) stubborn of you (laughs) so this movie um i i actually i don't i I will say accessibility like it's not like by the time i would have seen sought this movie out when i actually cared about the lists and stuff i was probably out of college and netflix was real and and i don't think it was ever on netflix um Or streaming for free and if it was i I don't know i i I don't have a good i don't have a good explanation but it's not like it was ever right in front of me and i said no Mm. you know what i mean i just never sought it out um because i i i I think it was great i should have i just should have seen it i feel (laughs) like but i feel
2: like by the time we had access to it there was so many other things to watch you're not gonna go back
1: and you had to rent it some of these movies these classic quote unquote great movies they um had to stick up their ass and they wouldn't sell to the uh streaming services for cheap um, so also, I'm
2: firmly of the opinion that he, like, he's completely overrated as an actor. Mm.
0: Oh
1: man, yeah. I actually wow. thought he was pretty good in this. I mean, anyway, we'll talk about it. In okay, this, so, I
2: will correct myself. Yes.
1: So, yeah, we'll get into the bios and stuff, or the not the bio, the um, the plot. But John, you've seen this. When was the last time you saw this?
0: I think I saw it once in college, and then I rewatched it kind of when I was getting more into like or, uh, my own filmmaking crap when I was trying to make my own stuff. Hadn't, you know, hadn't really sat down as a as a grown adult uh, in years. So probably five years ago, maybe five, four years ago, I rewatched it. And then I did rewatch it today just to make sure I was I was up on my toes with it. But uh, this is one of those movies when I was going through all the, the great older movies, foreign movies, current movies, whatever, and I was just watching like tons and tons of movies for a few years in a row there. I think this one held up. I think this is uh, you know, I understand why things can get a lot of hoopla behind them. I, I understand if this is not in everybody's opinion the greatest movie ever made, but I think it has so much to offer, and I think there is yeah. so much accomplished in it uh, for so many unusual reasons. There's there's so many things that you can talk about at the making of this movie because of and we gonna the unusual we're circumstance. So yeah, let's do it. Well, let's do, you let's do it. It
1: Let me get it. Let me get into the plot and also yeah, do it. I'm I'm assuming that everybody listening has either not. Seen it recently, or maybe never seen it before. If you've seen it recently, it is on HBO Max. For everybody else, um it's on HBO Max right now. You can go see it. I don't mm. think it's coming off anytime soon. And so, spoiler
0: alerts. Yeah, we're gonna talk about this whole movie. So, turn we'll us off.
2: I feel like I feel like eighty years is a good good spoiler barrier. So too, final, yeah. Yeah. We'll,
1: save we'll save like the final. Yeah, we'll save like the ending things, like the ending sequence. We'll save for a little bit. Family
2: Guy already blew that, so we're good.
1: Yeah. Anyway, so this is. um it's about it's Orson Welles' first real feature film. He hired, at the time, unknown actors, primarily from his Mercury Theatre Company, that were known for doing radio plays. And the most famous one they did was The War of the Worlds, which there's actually apparently a line in this movie where he says, don't take everything you hear on the radio seriously, <laughs> because apparently his War of the Worlds was so good that people genuinely thought... It was reality. They Dude, didn't realize people that had their fucking not... cars
2: packed and they were out of dodge.
1: Yeah, it, like was, they genuinely... it was. that. Yeah. Well, and it's funny too when he goes through the catalog of other um, when I when he when I went through the catalog of other Mercury Theater uh, radio plays before Citizen Kane because I was like, how did this guy get? How did he get this free reign? He was like 25 years old. How did he get to this power to do this? Yeah. And I mean, he did Les Mis. He did, he did like popular, the th- things that are popular now. It was like almost ahead of its time. So he was he was really somebody. And he was the head of the theater company since he was 21 years old. So now five years later or so, he gets to direct this. He hires Herman J. Mankiewicz, who for whatever reason, because he was an alcoholic, studios hated him. He had baggage. A lot of the characters in this story are, are based on people in real life, even though there was an original novel that he was supposed to be basing his screenplay off of. He just went off the fucking rails and wrote his original screenplay, mostly about um, William Hearst, who was a huge media tycoon in San Francisco, huge. Um, but anyway, so Orson Welles did. did hearst this happen
2: to run the newspaper that the bad review came from. That no, yeah, recently- there's. So,
1: <laughs> I mean, there are so many stories about this now because this movie has stood the test of time of all the shit that the newspapers tried to do to yeah. destroy this movie, which is why even though there's that one negative review from the Chicago Tribune, the fact that all the other ones were positive. They had an uphill battle to climb because all of the newspaper publishers were against this movie. <laughs> and here's the reason. Here's the reason. This is the plot, as according to IMDb. Following the death of publishing tycoon Charles Foster Kane, who is played by Orson Welles in the movie, reporters scrambled to uncover the meaning of his final utterance, which was a single word, and that word was rosebud. Now, there's no murder mystery here. There's nothing to uncover. I may mean, I don't think they really are expecting to find that. They just want to know. And so this is about reporters because it was a it was a it was a publishing magnate. Yeah. He he so it was just reporters was that like, wanted to know. They were interviewing people from his real life from Charles Foster Kane's real life trying to figure out what Rosebud meant. And in doing so, they they everybody told their version of his life. So you're watching what you think is reality but it's really a retelling of his life by all of his closest people and it's 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 brilliant this is I mean, almost 1941's network network <laughs> spotlight yeah uh um there's like kubrickian things in there with style which i'm sure you guys can get into this is pre-kurosawa like the this movie came in the middle of we at the beginning of world war one right at the end of the great depression tensions were high there was clearly like political and and press like crap they're, tra- they're they're talking about power and fame and all like the spoils of all of this stuff and they're uncovering it in a way that is very relatable now you can see the influence all over film so it, it's it's brilliant and and it does stand the test of time anyway who wants to who wants to take it from there that's that's what the movie's about trying to figure out what rosebud is as we watch I uh, you uh Charles you Foster King go, go from say, like 25 to 60
0: first time seeing I, I got, you know, I I I got my you bits. Guys I got my bits. it for a while, yeah, Dave. What did you? Anything stand out? We can at least I have this conversation. I'm just curious. I was
2: not looking forward to watching this. I was not looking. Yeah. I'm like, this is going to be hard work. I'm not a fan of. I kind of thought it was like gonna be said, the out, old yeah. style. It opens like a fucking Dracula film, and that's yeah. a compliment. Like it's graveyard. Like, like I'll get into some of the techniques they use later, you but are. like this, this film, if you don't think you're going to like it, on some level, at least you're wrong. Like it is compelling. It is very well produced, especially for the time. It uses techniques that weren't even fucking invented yet, and like, and the ones that were the ones that were invented, he uses them better than any other thing that was released at this point in time. So, like, I don't like. As I said, I don't. I'm not a fan of some of his acting performances, but as a director, holy hell!
1: Yeah, he directs Mm -hmm. the shit out of this movie. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It almost seems like the kind of movie that. I can't believe how busy he was leading up to this. Like, you know those great, I I hate to keep saying Kubrick, but there's a lot of like voice echoing things to let you know that it's sort of surreal that that Kubrick would do in like The Shining and a couple Mm. of his other films. This is 30 years before The Shining. Like, it blows my mind. But the way I can't believe how busy he was leading up to this because Kubrick would take three years to do a movie and the way they do edits, which I'm sure you'll talk about, where something is moving to the left and then it cuts to a scene in a different time frame and they're moving to the left as if it's a single camera movement bridging two time sequences together. Brilliant. I love the way that that they'll have four people in a scene and one person will be moving. And everybody else will be still. And so that way they can do things like push that broken line idea. They can move camera angles very subtly. Very subtly. A lot of these camera angles movements are really still. And there's an actor that's instigating it. So it's like, we want the focus to shift this way, but we don't wanna just move the camera. Like a Marvel movie would just be like, what's over there? Like they actually have an actor just get whipped up and just walk over there and then the camera moves and there's now or- now Orson Welles is on camera right. Like brilliant things that mm. I don't know if it helps or hurts your experience knowing this movie, but I think that's the best thing about this movie is that no matter how deep or not deep you wanna get, because ultimately the storyline is very simple. It's very straightforward. We're just going, and I, keep, I said non-linear flashbacks because you don't really know what time period you're in, but for the most part, it's moving forward. You're trying to figure out a single word and you're watching, the, I'm gushing, wow, pretty <laughs> good, early on. Good.
0: good, don't stop though, don't stop though. Keep going, I'm g- gush, well, gush, just, gush, gush, gush. <laughs> it's just,
1: It's so. To, yeah, so again, assuming that everybody listening either hasn't seen it recently or it's been a while, the story is so simple. So I don't know why I expected it to be um, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. <laughs> Because if I if I tuned out, I could I could come back in if I wanted to. If mm. I wanted to focus on a scene and I wanted to say, "How is this direction going?" The cinematography, the acting—it's it's it's brilliant. If if you—it's like every level is there and you can enjoy it no matter what level you're at. I think that's probably the best. Have thing you
2: uh, have you heard his uh, quote? It's making a film is the biggest electric train set a boy ever had. <laughs> and I was like, if I didn't like the like that would make me like the guy. Hearing a quote like that because he's not wrong. Yeah. And yeah. he definitely like I can pick the pick him like agonizing over everything. It's like, nope, that's not good enough, do it again. But like the production stuff, not so much the performances, but the production. Because the production in this is tight. Yeah. It's so yeah. tight. Like there are there are crossfades and I mean in 1940, a crossfade is not I'm just gonna drag a dissolve on the timeline.
1: Right.
2: Like it is it's <laughs> pretty much it's it's basically a double exposure. You have to, like, you have a machine that you put it in and it records the first, like, frame by frame, the first piece of film and drops the the lamp behind yeah. it down and exposes that. Then they put the second one in and do the opposite and that's how they crossfade. And normally when you do that in some of the films, especially in this era, you'll see, like, a cut, like a little jump cut where they haven't quite lined it up properly or they haven't bothered to, like it's like okay it's not quite the speed I wanted to so I'll just I'll just skip a couple of frames but you don't see that once in this film there's that yeah. weird thing with yeah. the cockatoo but apart from that you, you like you don't see any like any and that was intentional but you, you don't see any of that every every and there are subtle lighting changes that and fuck it I'm gonna finish this thought but there 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 are like no when he's setting up a cross dissolve, some of the lighting is manually dropped to compensate for what he knows the film is going to do in the dissolve transition. Like you see it, you see it happen.
0: And they used to do that apparently with films from this era and shout out to David Fincher. He does that on all of the uh, dissolves for Mank. Yeah. He brings the lights down on their set as well. Mm. Um, And, you know, I could sit here and talk about Greg Tollin's cinematography all day. This guy did the best years of our lives. He did Grapes of Wrath. He did, uh, the Foxes, uh, what's the name of that one? Um, the Little Foxes, the Kukura movie. I mean, he's, this guy's a legend. And the deep focus cinematography, it's like it's like Orson Welles, who is a genius. And whether or not you like him or not, that guy was 25 years old when he made this yeah, fucking movie. 25. This guy's a fucking genius. Like, go fuck With yourself. a kid and
1: a wife, like, he just, and yeah, he's busy, like, he just did it. He
0: hired a genius to film it, and he hired a genius to write it. And I'm sure there are many other people who may have been involved. Who he just, you know, he was an idiot. He comes from the theater where whether or not you want to argue how much of a megalomaniac Orson Welles was, the theater is collaborative. It is. It forces you to be extremely hmm. collaborative. It doesn't leave a lot of room for a director to scream at everyone because directors in theater don't do anything as soon as their job is done. They're not sitting there every performance saying action, making sure the stage manager's doing this and blah, blah, blah. So I think he came to Hollywood with total free reign and, and also, his, knew his he love going to hire the best.
2: His love of theater comes through in this as well, like mm. like crazy. Like yeah. the fact that he has thought like the the shot on the roof of the club that goes over and focuses on the blurry window, and then we drop down inside, and it's like that's an easy shot to do now. You just CG some shit, and the camera mysteriously passes through it. But they they didn't have this technology like that either. Had to be built big enough that the camera could pass through the center of that sign and drop. Or that sign had half that sign had to fly out as yes, the camera's and they moving. Really did it. Like it was like one of the and to his credit, I cannot figure out which one it was.
1: Wow, I mean, there's what so about many the, moments what about like, the, like that. What right? about the picture that came to life? There's a picture.
0: Yeah, it's yeah.
1: I feel like they, I, I in her, when I saw Hereditary. That's at the beginning of that the traumatic scene for me. little diagrams come to life. Yeah. I'm like, how did they do that? And I'm like, this is 80 years earlier. Yeah. Like, how did they look at a picture on a table and the camera zooms in and all of a sudden the the picture's to life and now we're in a new scene without yeah. any like like Chivo could barely you know what I mean like Chivo could work yeah, uh-huh. hard to pull that off. Oh my god. So there's Anyways. plenty of examples
0: of that and sometimes I think this movie. There's a really famous review that Pauline Kael. Wrote called Raising Cain in like 1971, yeah. which didn't, is...
1: didn't Wells actually write it? Wasn't there wasn't there like things about it? Was he was a ghost? It doesn't matter. I don't know. Yeah, it, I don't know. I think not. she's such probably a
0: controversial not. critic that you know there's yeah. you know there's a lot of ways to interpret what she's writing. It's not all positive by any means. And mm-hmm. something a good point that I do think she makes though is that exactly what you guys are saying. Which is awesome that you're admitting this from the very first time viewing it. It is production wise, it is captivating. Mm. She refers to it as a shallow masterpiece because. Sometimes this film gets perceived as, you know, the greatest film of all time, but it's not Rashomon. It's not Art. It's not Bergman. Right. It's not Tarkovsky. It is very American in terms of the momentum of the pacing, yeah. with these fast cuts. Every scene builds basically in a sketch style to a climax, and then you're out, and then you're onto something else. And it, it jumps, but it doesn't feel clunky. It's extremely stylized with the cinematography. But the but the acting is so grounded that you, you kind of don't really mind it. So there are so many things with production that, in my opinion, it's just me. I don't know if you guys agree with this. They, I think Herman Mankiewicz wrote a a fantastic script that yeah. somehow because Orson Welles came in and Greg Toland and all these other people to help produce something that is so uh, captivating in terms of the way the story is told, you do forget that going you know the shallow masterpiece thing what jeff said earlier it is a simple story but they're still playing with large themes Mm. how do you define an entire human life how do you define trauma and and what it does in terms of the way somebody moves away from that trauma i mean rosebud is like one of the most iconic words in the english language now it's a a secret passcode in zelda it's a secret passcode (laughs) in in, in tons of fucking things, it gets used so colloquially in America because even people who haven't seen this movie knows that that word means something enormous. So I don't think we can give enough credit to Orson and Herman Mankiewicz for taking a theme that is that. It, it's it's not delicate. That's not the right word. It's 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 so heavy that if you it doesn't matter if you did all these bells and whistles with the cool dissolves and the shadow cinematography if you didn't understand how to handle that emotionally you would never have arrived at a cinematic masterpiece which i think most people whether or not they think the subject matter is you know super highbrow or not this is nearly a perfect film and it, and it's hard to say that about a movie that came out in 1941 <laughs> Jesus, I will drink, I will drink. Well, I think
1: I think that's what's so cool about watching it because I have a feeling, you know, Dave, you can attest to this with me because mm. we're the two that haven't seen it. The fact that everybody was calling it a cinematic masterpiece, it's almost like, Jesus, do I have to like, ugh. Like it sets uh, this bar yeah, so uh, high. It was like, do I yeah. do I have to sit down and like prepare for this? Do I have to give it a night? And you know what the answer is? No, you know? Yeah,
2: no. Like I'm, I'm very wary of a lot of cinematic masterpieces and I, I use the inverted commas here. Um mainly because it's like yeah yeah. is it is it (laughs) is it a cinematic masterpiece because it's a cinematic masterpiece or is it a cinematic masterpiece because your film school lecturer told you it was a film a cinematic masterpiece right and like there are some of these that just carry on it's like the greatest film and it's a it's a genius film because they were taught it was a genius film this one transcends all that
1: yeah yeah and, and yeah. I will say that obviously the production design and the cinematography, the techniques and stuff, the script is fucking good. And yeah. I mean, a simple, simple yeah. story always helps. I actually heard one of my favorite things that I'm going to quote all the time now, which is somebody asked Stephen Sondheim. They said, West Side Story and Sweeney Todd are your two most produced shows. And he just said, yeah, because they're the best stories. They didn't need music in the first place. And it was like, wow, that is yeah. this story doesn't need these directing techniques it's just better because of it you know everything is enhanced by it but ultimately if it's just and and knowing kind of what rosebud is but you know maybe nowadays it's good to see this this really wealthy person and then what what it ends up kind of coming back to is just sort of this tattered childhood and this this you know we would kind of say like oh well you just have daddy issues this dumb little trust fund kid you know it's maybe even trumpian in some parts but it's like the, it's so relatable. I mean, the best, like the the best line to is, answer
2: that is the one piece of dialogue. If I hadn't been very rich, I might have been a very good, very great man.
1: I wrote that down yeah. and I didn't yeah. know it was on the AFI list. Again, not that lists matter, but I wrote, you know, if, if I hadn't been born very rich, I might have been a really good man. Yeah. And then right after that, somebody asks that same character, well, what do you want to be? And they just responded, everything you hate. Yeah. Which if you, if you break it down, he's basically saying, I wish I didn't want to be somebody you hated. But they said, well, what do you want to be? And they said, well, it's too late. I actually do want to be rich. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? You yeah. know, like if you, if you really break it down, like the lines are so three-dimensional that you could break down three lines in a movie or not. That's that's the best part about this movie is you don't have to break them down to get it. You don't have to sit there. Oh, I'm glad I simmered with this so that I could finally crack the acorn. No, if you just want to say that's like a guy who's just like, man, money is corrupting and you can go, yeah, and move on with your life. That that option's there for you too. It's It's really, really amazing.
0: Yeah, I do think there are a lot of layers to, like, again, the themes that Herman Maker who's, you know, anyone who saw Mank may know this, but anyone who knows his life and career, he he dabbled in socialism and I don't want to say communism, dare I say the dirty word. He was definitely interested in these different economic philosophies. And I think that comes through. I think the first time, you guys were asking me this earlier, the first time I went home and watched this movie was after I saw There Will Be Blood for the first time in college. Holy shit. Because I remember hearing people comparing that kind of, like, you know, intense egomaniac capitalist to Charles Kane. And I remember thinking, all right, maybe I should go home and give this a watch. Same deal, though. I remember the first time I watched it, I was just blown away by how entertaining it was. Hmm. But if you get to the adult levels and you're in school or whatever, and you're you're having a serious conversation, you can go much deeper because I think that the vehicle of a super successful capitalist can somehow still comment on all of humanity because he's being dissected in every word. My favorite thing about the story, about the way he wrote this, is that the entire perspective on his character is being told in two different ways. One of them is through direct recollection of a narration, literally a a reporter asking questions, and then we go back in time, and his friend or ex-wife or whatever tells their story. We also have interesting scenes like the iconic childhood scene where he first leaves his home as a boy that is not being recalled directly by a narrator. The window was open in that scene. Are we supposed and suddenly we are taken into what is this perspective? Is this is this Charles Kane's perspective as a boy because the window was open and his idea of how his parents sent him away? Again, that comment I made uh, in the previous little episode about Mortal Kombat: great films teach you how to watch them in the openings. Yeah this movie opens. How meta is this? This movie opens with a fucking newsreel. News on yeah, the march yeah, yeah. of how, of his life. And then they sit there, all these mm-hmm. men in shadows. You can't see their faces. They're not real humans. They're newspaper men talking about whether or not it's accurate enough. And if that even <laughs> fucking matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get to go on this journey of, is this real? Is this a recollection? Is this hearsay? Does Is there even a way to put together someone's life? That's the treasure of this film. Yeah. That's what I think it does that Films, you know, nowadays, I think one thing that this movie does benefit from, Dave. I totally understand when you say it. Sometimes I struggle with older movies, but goddamn it, those screenwriters knew how to write very entertaining scenes. Nothing is super highbrow back then yeah. in the '40s. True. Like they, yeah. this was the golden age. They were turning pages. They were getting people to come in and spend their quarters and get out feeling they were entertained. That was the most important thing to Hollywood. See,
2: no, I don't, I don't, I don't not like the writing style. I don't like the dialogue delivery style. Okay. So let's talk about the acting. What did you think of this
0: acting? What did you think of this stuff? I thought this was,
2: yeah, this was elevated above what I'd normally expect out of a movie from this era. Yeah.
0: So I feel like, I feel like again, uh, Greg Tolan and Orson Welles, the way they lit this motherfucker and the way they filmed it with all the deep focus, clearly it's stylized. It's stylized mm. like crazy. It's almost oh, yeah. like more well, than noir. Funny,
2: funny, because Ma- Maltese, but- Maltese, Maltese Falcon is credited with the first film to use noir lighting, but that came out a month after this.
0: Yeah, I would disagree with that. And, a double and, yeah, I would still, yeah, I totally yeah. agree. I know what you mean. The way the use of shadow is incredible. Mm. Um, but what, what, the reason this, works i th- i think and the reason it transcends style is because Orson brought all of his theater cohorts and those people were grounded yeah there is grounded vo- the voice the presentational style of acting from that period of time in cinema it doesn't really exist very much in this movie unless it's supposed to again unless it's coming through that recollection where people are remembering it as being this really dramatic moment just to give you a good example for anyone who wants to reference this on youtube or whatever the scene where, where Charles Kane, Orson Welles, meets his second wife. She doesn't know who he is, and she takes him up to her, her apartment to like help him wash down his suit. He got mud all over it. And they speak to each other in a near whisper. That almost never happened back then. The intimacy, it yeah. was so grounded. The way they were talking to each other was different. And I, I think it just goes to show you that Citizen Kane is an example of Somebody coming from a different medium, I guess they don't, it doesn't matter where they came from. It does. And they weren't told I think. how to do it. I think yeah. it probably does, but you, you mm. would think that coming from the theater would have been too presentational it would have gone the other way and it would have been even bigger than yeah, classic like 40s Hollywood. Like,
1: Pre-Brando, like you would have thought even the stage people would be hamming it up and stuff. So do, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: do, do you guys... I think you agree. I don't about, know. I, like, I talk feel like, a little bit about that. But again, did you feel like the performances were more grounded than to movies you To throw back to era?
2: at the beginning when I, I said I saw In the Heights and it was like they took the musical and did what you could do with the musical in a movie. And I feel like this is what he did. He, he took stage actors and put them in a movie movie scenario and got the same performance out of them like a, a nuanced performance they would normally give on stage but he also had the good sense to temper it a little so it wasn't yeah, exactly. over the top exactly. so i i feel like it was a person like he's one of those people that can make the transition from theatrical to to film yeah like that if the music world would
1: say you do do the full performance just put some compression on it yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah, and totally. it's the, the, acting, the acting is very, 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 very well grounded, especially mm. when it comes to the ladies who at this time period were still sort of starlit or bust, you know what I mean? Like there wasn't a lot of, of, of wiggle room. And he gave these ex-wives, that, on they, they seemed like they were just going to be a regular Hollywood um, kind of starlets. And then especially when you see them in scenes together, I know this sounds crazy, it's, it's very white, it's very old, And uh, but they, there is a life to them. There's You could tell there's so much more going on that yes. in, in our yes. you know, uh, of William Wilder was making movies and Billy Wilder's coming out after William Wilder and Billy Wilder. Wy- like the, these great directors that are, are really getting more out of performances are starting to come into play in 1941. But the way, especially when, when there's the scene where the, the, the he's running for governor... Right, my mm. uh, governor, yeah, yeah. and and the other guy, um, Getty, mm-hmm. Getty's is going to leak a story, and and honestly, I, I guess it's true. I, I don't yeah. I don't know the timeline of the affair. It's probably true, but it doesn't matter. It's basically like whatever we print, people are going to believe. It's sort of that that line. Mm-hmm. And you see the two women like competing over the affection. They're not the same. They're so different from one another. So much life, and it's like it, it was it was really it was really cool to see. It was it was cool to see that because I, I didn't get that from the movies that I saw. Which were highly sexist in the 1940s. And I, I felt like there was there was more. Not that it was perfect, but there was there was more that they were drawing on, for sure.
0: I think so, for sure. Hmm. I also think that um you know, we, we touched on it at the beginning, but you know, this movie had uh, it had every excuse in the world from a business perspective to be destroyed, cancelled, whatever word you want to use. It only won one Oscar. You know, it's one of those things where you look back on it and you're like, "How the fuck did that?" Well, you know, "Green this- Grow
1: the Lilacs" or "The My Great Green," whatever the hell won yeah. all the Oscars that year, of course, because it's such yeah. a good.
0: So, I mean, just also to have the. Uh, <laughs> it's just one of those things where it's kind of you kind of have just have to like scratch your head at it, the courage and lunacy maybe that it took to try to write, to write, produce, make, release a movie about this particular subject matter when that man was still alive is is crazy. Um, I, I also think that just uh, style-wise, again, just the, to release something that spat in the face of what everyone mm. else was doing and they considered successful was also maybe crazy. And it's just another good example, I think, of... The, it's almost like you're not actually achieving the most uh, amazing artistic... Whatever. You can achieve... <laughs> If you're not if you're not pissing off the standard, if you're not pissing off the norms, Stanley Kubrick, Paul Thomas Anderson, none of these sure. people are ever going to win p- best pictures and best directors. They're they're ahead of the game.
1: To be fair to the the the, the, the people that we're shitting on though, All of Orson <laughs> Welles movies lost a lot of money. He lost so much money, and after this, n- name your next name Orson Welles' next five films. They all were I know, not I know deemed very good. But just, and they all lost money. I'm just money. saying
0: though that like uh, I think I don't know about Stanley. I've never looked him up, and I don't want to shit on anybody else. But I know I've looked up. I know I've looked up Paul Thomas Anderson. I've looked up a few of my other absolute favorite directors, and they seem to have understandings with studios. Look, we're going to use lower budgets, but there's a very good chance we're not going to make our money back several of paul thomas anderson's movies if not there, there i'm sure i feel comfortable saying that about certain other people who make you know i don't want to use the word highbrow it's, like but... it's like
1: broadway shows the, the produ- whoever produces the broadway show gets licensing money because it's like if we don't make money in new york we'll get money in the next five years when it licenses it'll get your money back
0: exactly so That's probably i do like think this is. is one of those things that like Pre- it's free obviously, example but
1: well, can I shut on yeah, one thing time, about it though? I mean, I don't care about the opera stuff. I can be negative about it. What, what, what's going on with the opera stuff at the end? I was ready for the movie to wrap up. Is there anything that I missed in there that you
0: want to fill me in on? So they have an editing style in this movie where they're not afraid of like the montage, basically. The it was like a 10 minute montage of her wife. being an opera
1: star. And I was like, this is great, but I'm ready to find out what robot I swear. Yeah. Just tell me what robot I
0: think. It. I think on the page, <laughs> I think on the page, that was probably a page literally a page was, of the screenplay showing all like, those and it, it, it turned like 10 into minutes. yeah it turned into like yeah. 10 minutes and yeah i understand it kind of does lose a little bit of steam right there i don't know if it's totally necessary especially since we again that recollecting thing we're sitting there with her so when you finally pull back from her you kind of feel like i kind of got the idea did you just do that for her like we kind of understood because it's building to her walking out on charles kane i, I think we maybe could have gotten there a little bit quicker but whatever that also might just be our attention if this came out in 1941 yeah, we didn't have phones in our hand we probably would have thought that was too fast it, it could mm. be with mm. <laughs> the press too because it could be it was it was
1: probably a huge gut punch when she was like all oh, these reviews are bad i thought you could make all the reviews good and he went i could but that wouldn't be honest and she's like well when was the that, that would be the first time that you were dishonest and he was basically like well you gotta you, you, yeah. still gotta, you know what i mean you yeah, gotta play you with you gotta play yeah. with the truth a little bit if you're gonna lie exactly and I, I felt what like that think? was a really good point that he made but but I don't know if I need to ten minutes. I mean, but I get
2: it. Basically, yeah. I feel like we should sum this up. If you're a film buff,
1: <laughs> <You're right.
2: laughs> there's so much packed in here for you to enjoy. You gotta see. You it. can you can see something different almost every time. If yeah. you're not and you just want a compelling story, then what's better than a man presiding over his own self destruction with a little mystery thrown exactly. in? Unless so Family Guy enjoy. blew it for you.
0: That's definitely one of uh, definitely one of America's best films. I definitely yeah <laughs> definitely recommend it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and one of America's best films. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff, and I like that. I like that writer, producer, actor, director lets the character get shit on a little bit. I think that works out. I think that works out get really shit well. On the lot. character yeah, so gets ridiculous. called out. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was yeah, your he was ego, bro. Nobody cares about you. If somebody tells them to stop caring about you, they might listen to that person. So back, slow your roll. Whereas I think Bradley Cooper's *A Star Is Born* could have taken that note a little bit. <laughs> Yep. It's okay. We should Ooh, undo oh, oh, my. Oh, I <laughs> said, yeah. So I said, yeah, preemptive.
0: Let's also, one more time, let's anyway. just say it because it's fucking insane. Orson Welles was 25 years old when he made yeah. this movie. Let's, yeah. let's wrap yeah. with that. Credit Wouldn't eat for three
1: fun. days, and then he'd just eat two steaks and say, I'm good for a couple more.
0: <laughs> what were you guys doing when you were 25?
1: You don't want to <laughs> know. All right. People that was fun citizen Kane. go see it hbo max tell us what you think we would love to hear it smash subscribe we respond to all of the socials by we i mean dave dave responds to all the socials and he always does it when he's drunk so really really get in there we're on all of them always look at the episode look at the episode <laughs> notes if you want to know how to follow us uh anything else we should say before we head off
0: i don't think so man this is great love the yeah, movie give it a shot give it a shot should have watched it by now if you should have join us and watch that fucking movie so you don't have to be a loser like these two assholes
1: Alright, we'll see you next time, film fans. We're going to go shit on John after this episode.
0: (laughs) That's...